Hello, my name's Steph, and um, Carl has asked if I will do the words um, session, so there will be works and then a session and a, and a, and a session on wonders uh, towards the end. Just thank you so much. Hasn't Mike and Carl been so brilliant so far? I mean, wow, thank you so much. I feel, you know, um, ready, to, ready to go and get on with it, but let's not, not do that yet. Um, let's get, get a bit more first. Um, we're all uh, familiar, aren't we, with the Francis of Assisi saying, uh, love it or hate it, you know, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. Now, it, on the one hand, you know, there are elements that are helpful. What he's really saying there is make sure your life adorns the message. That's what he's saying. And that is hugely important. If your life doesn't adorn the message, um, then really, you know, there could be big consequences for that. I mean, in Romans 2, it talks about God's name being blasphemed among the nations because of the way his people uh, were conducting themselves. So it's really important. And, uh, you know, a lot of the cynicism and difficulty people have with Christianity, if you get beneath it, often there's a, been a bad experience. There's been a hypocritical life that they've observed or something like this. So it's really it's an important phrase for that. But that's really where the helpfulness of the phrase stops. <laughs> You have to preach the gospel with words. Um, you, you really do. It's ever so important. The Bible is emphatic about that. And I'm going to just I'm going to pick up that um, that cry today, that battle cry, and just help us through um, with that. Um, we're told in one Corinthians one verse twenty one. Um, you can, if you enjoy it, flicking around, you can flick around with me. Uh, if not, then you're just going to have to trust that I'm reading what he actually says there. Uh, which is a risk. Uh, no. So one Corinthians one twenty one. Since in the wisdom of God. The world didn't know God through wisdom. Uh, now, your Bible probably says it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. The literal translation there is it, it, it pleased God through the folly of preaching to save those who believe. Now, the difference is in, in the English translation, it tends to be talking more about the actual content of the message, and which does fit with the context um, that, that the message of the cross is what God has chosen. But actually, it's interesting that it actually says through the folly of preaching. There's something about the act of proclaiming Jesus in its folly that God has chosen in order to subvert the wisdom of the world. There's something strategically important from heaven about the fact that proclaiming or preaching is used. Now, it's important you get your... Head straight when, you, when we think of this word preach. It doesn't necessarily just mean standing in front of a group of people. Um, it can be one-to-one. It basically just means speaking of Jesus. God has chosen that method. There's something about the foolishness of someone telling someone else about Jesus. God has chosen that method to save. Um, and it, it pleases him to, to do that. Um, so it's not just um, you can take it or leave it as your, you know, what kind of learner are you? What kind, you know, you're, oh, I'm a pictorial learner. We won't use words. No, God has chosen the folly of preaching to save those who believe. And I believe in, let's use all that's at our disposal, but never at the expense of words. Because it's God's plan. If you even back at creation, God speaks and life comes. Jesus is the word of God. There's something spiritually vital and important about the use, us using our words. Um, and we'll look at that as we, as we work through some of this material today. So words are essential. Um, you can have the best life, you can live the best kind of life in the world. But if when questions are asked, which if you live well, they will be. If at that point you have nothing to say, you don't make Christ known, something's wrong. That's, that's a shame if that happens in that moment. 
So preaching is to make Christ known, and it is God's plan. It's God's deliberate plan to do that in order to subvert prideful man and worldly wisdom. So there's something about the proclamation of Jesus. That's, that's the thing. And I want to just look at, uh, I've got two main things I want to say, which might seem contradictory. They're not, but they may seem, they're kind of maybe emphasizing two things. Um, the first one's the most important. I'm going to spend most of the time on the second one, weirdly. But I think more needs to be said on the second one. So the first one is very, very straightforward, and it's this. Let's not complicate talking about Jesus. This is ever so important. It's been touched on already, and there will be some overlap in these things because the important things come through. People talk about what they're excited about. So sometimes we can complicate, oh, I'm not that kind of person, I'm a quiet kind of person. People talk about what they're excited about. We just do. You you (laughs) You get me on certain subjects and I don't know what to say. You get me on others and you can't stop me. And I can see myself thinking, oh, I'm that guy. <laughs> I, you know, you, I don't want to be that guy. I'm that guy. I can't stop. Why? The subject. It, I come alive. And I would say that it is of absolute paramount evangelistic importance that the church is excited about Jesus. Because then they will speak of him. We mustn't just skate over that. That is absolutely core. To learn to delight in Jesus isn't a selfish thing. To learn to delight in Jesus glorifies God. Because for for our soul to be caught up with him, that's that's the purpose of our existence. Um, So that glorifies him. Obviously it does us good. We're built up. We are much less vulnerable to temptation and the like. But it does a broken world a whole lot of good. Because suddenly there are a bunch of people who are really excited about the gospel. So I just want that is the most important thing um, that we, when it comes to evangelism, that we are genuinely excited and passionate um, about Jesus. There's only, there's only one way you can tell if something is genuinely full, right? And that's when it. You know, the mo- you know, I don't know if any of you are a bit childish sometimes. We say, how far can I fill the cup? You know, there are days, it's fun, isn't it? How far can I fill this glass? You know, uh, 20 years ago, not now. But, uh, and, uh, <laughs> you know, that point you think, oh, oh just a go, just a bit more. You know, d- d- and you know when it's full. Don't you? you know when it's full? Oh, sun's come out. To be full of the Spirit, by its nature, implies overflow. By its nature. You know when something's full because it overflows. So it's so important that we take this call to be filled with the Spirit and to go on being filled with the Spirit with utmost seriousness. Um, and that it's not, it's not self-indulgent. That it's, it's the river of God, right? not the pond of God. It's the river of God. Because Spirit comes in and flows out and reaches the world. So it's important. It's, that's the most important thing. But I do want to focus on the second thing because I think perhaps we need a little bit more help uh, with it and a bit more equipping uh, with it. And it's this, is that when it comes to evangelism, there are some genuinely uh, complicating factors or there are some things that need to be dug around in and talked about so that we do as well as we can. Um, um, And it's not good enough to simply keep exhorting people to talk about Jesus. You have to instruct people if you're going to then exhort them. Otherwise, you end up creating a kind of culture where people just constantly feel they're being told to do something, but there's not enough there's not enough content to, to work with. And so I'm going to bring some instruction to you. But as leaders, it's with a view that those whom you serve and lead, you will be able to pass on to them. And, and then we've, we're just giving some really good uh, meat out of which to exalt one another and encourage each other. Is that cool? Yeah. Okay, great. So Carl said, yes, yeah, so we're all right. We're doing okay. Let me just tell you a bit about Carl. I've known Carl for 20 years. We did FYP together. 
It was called FYP then. It's called cooler things like ID now. But in those days, FYP was good enough for us, Carl, wasn't it? And um, Carl's one of those guys. We were about the same age. You were you about 41 now? Yeah, 42. 42. That's not 41. You said, yeah, then you said 42. That doesn't work. <laughs> about my, my bad. My bad. I receive your humiliation uh, and rebuke. <laughs> So, but he's one of those guys, he was always like really mature. And the rest of us would sort of rock up at FYP, you know, all, all wanted to be Christian rock stars and all of that still, uh, that phase. Uh, and Carl just, Carl just knew what he was about. And um, Carl, it's a, just a blessing to see what God's done in you, mate. Bless him. So, right, so some things to say about speaking about Jesus. Um, number one, we have to keep around, keep building confidence around this idea that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. Not barbecues. Not friendships. Important though these things are, good things, the gospel is the power of God for salvation. It's really, really important that we understand that. It's good to hear many testimonies of salvation because you'll be surprised. Most testimonies have a (laughs) factor in them. How How did that work? You met that person and they shared with you about Jesus and you got saved? Or you listened to that preacher? Or you just got saved and no one knows how? The gospel is the power of God for salvation. So to to keep bringing through stories of breakthrough and gospel advance is so important because it keeps us in a supernatural mindset when it comes to the gospel. This is a message that is his and he will own. That's the key. He will own the message for his glory and for the salvation of souls. He loves the gospel. It's the message of his son. He loves the gospel. And so we need to be really strong in this. That is the power of God, this simple message. Um, We mustn't get into a man-centered approach. We've done this, this, and this. What now? It's a God thing. Now, there are. I'll talk in in a moment about sowing and watering. I understand all of that. But God is free to do whatever he wants, right? He can break all the rules. Don't you love that about God? He just breaks the rules. And we want him to. We want him to as long as he gets the glory, we're not overly protective about methodologies. Hopefully you're picking that up. The gospel is the power of God. The name of Jesus is a very powerful name to talk about. And uh, to, just, to just freely speaking about Jesus, who knows what will happen. Because he's the good news. Fundamentally, that is the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. So just to say, be around testimonies. There's so many resources now online. Just hear testimonies of how people got saved. It will stir your faith. And then when you've, when you've found a good one, when you think that's amazing, just share it. Just ask your small group leader, if you are a small group leader, or whatever responsibility you've got, get, get people exposed to uh, these things. Just to say, Adam, who um, works alongside me at Revelation Church, he's probably thinking, we don't do that. It's because as I've been preparing, I've just realized we should do that. That's why we don't do that. <laughs> so um, just get on, uh, get on with it and apply it. It'll be good for us. Uh, number two. <laughs> um, now, once we, once we realize, okay, it's, it's absolutely essential that we talk about Jesus, we do have to give some thought to how, because the Bible does. The Bible says some things um, about how. Um, it's not just okay to get the content right. The way we talk about Jesus is important. It says in 1 Peter 3, verse 15, that um, when, you know, be ready to give an answer, but to speak respectfully. To people, I mean, it's just a really such a practical point, isn't it? It'd be respectful, which means that you don't cut in when people are talking. It means you don't. It means that your manner makes them feel honoured by their interaction with you, even if they refuse the content in that moment. 
there's a respectfulness that the Bible... I love the practical steps the Bible gives us when talking about Jesus. We all know that difficulties in conversation can be caused as much by how we say things as what we say, right? Very often, it's not actually the content of what is said that causes difficulty. It's the way the person came across. So to be respectful is ever so important when we are talking about Jesus. Colossians 4 verse 6, it seems to be the context is um, reaching out. It says this. It says... Uh, um, uh, let your speech always be gracious and seasoned with salt, so you may know how to answer each person. Always gracious, seasoned with salt. So grace and salt. Maybe an easy way to remember that is favor and flavor. Okay? So favor. God has shown us favor in Jesus when we were a million miles away, right? Therefore, if we can express something of that in our conversation, we are embodying something of the gospel message. That's very, very powerful. That even though we may have to disagree with the content of what someone's saying graciously, we do it graciously. We do it with a sense in which by they still sense and feel the heart of God reaching out towards them. To be full of grace. But flavor. I think flavor is a really underrated thing. You see, I know we said, well, salt's a preservative. If you read Matthew 5 where he says you're the salt of the earth, read in the context, he talks about salt losing its flavor. So it wasn't just a preservative. It brings flavor. And I think we need to just give a little bit of thought to this. And I think this is actually a really releasing word. To bring flavor means that we are freed from cliches, sound bites, learnt phraseology that only makes us feel under pressure anyway. The gospel is the gospel is the gospel, absolutely. But it can be articulated in a variety of ways, using a variety of words. There's a flavor that I think ought to come through our conversation about the Lord Jesus, that it's, that, it, that it's interesting, that we talk as who we really are, that we don't come across as automatons who have been sat in a room with 20 others and talk the phrases. One of the most frustrating things about speaking to a Jehovah's Witness is you know it's not a real conversation. You just think, oh, flipping heck, you know, it's, it doesn't feel, what is it? It's because they've been trained down certain lines. And so you go off peace, they just bring you straight back on. You think, but that's not what I said. Whereas I think it's honouring and respectful people to actually listen, to be able to respond and really engage. Now what that does mean is this, you've got to be able to grasp the gospel. Ever been in the situation where someone says, you talk about it, you say, explain how it works. And you think, I don't know. So <laughs> you start babbling about someone, you can hear yourself thinking, this is a nightmare, I, you know, I don't know what I'm talking about. I need to be familiar, then I can talk about it. So actually there is a calling on us to be really familiar with the gospel to grow in our understanding of its facets and its beauty, that, I believe, is a genuine call on us from God. And that we would do well to, um, to respond to that and not have a, such a low bar for ourselves, but say, yeah, I really want to get to grips with this. I want to read more books about the gospel and just be gripped with it so that out of it being a part of you, you can speak naturally and with flavor about the gospel. So I think that's really important as well, grace. And salt. Does that make sense? Third thing. Already been touched on, so I won't spend long on it, but the whole man or woman of peace um, scenario. There are people that God has lined up who are receptive. Acts 17, verse 26. God's put us in certain places at a certain time. Why? So that those around us might seek God. So that maybe those who find God as a result of brushing shoulders with us. Isn't that exciting? You know, so it's just, well, there will be people that are interested. There will be people who want to find out more. And um, I, sometimes the Holy Spirit will pinpoint 
those people and it just opens straight up. Other times you just sort of get on with it, scattering liberally and learning how to face a bit of rejection. But suddenly, ah, bang, it becomes obvious. This is who God has ordained for me to meet. This is a really wonderful and important thing. God is at work behind the scenes. I love it when God appears to Paul in Corinth and says, I've got many people in this city. It's a sense of, wow, he's, he's, he's working things out. He's orchestrating things all the time. We can be confident in that. And, you know, the Bible is very clear. People don't want to hear. Just shake the dust off your feet. You know, there's something about honoring the fact that people don't want to hear. Um, and I was thinking about this shaking your dust off your feet thing. He says there's a testimony against them. I think, wow. I mean, it's kind of like, what's the equivalent? I don't know what the equivalent is in our age, in our culture. But I do think there's something, there's something weighty about it. If someone says, I don't want to know that, then I think that we can uh, not get on their case, not nag them. Um, but in a, but we somehow just communicating. Okay, you sh- if you sh- that's a decision you're going to make. You're letting them know that there's a there's a weight. There's something serious about their decision not to. You can do that graciously. You can do that gently. But it keeps it. We don't want to fall into the trap of saying it doesn't matter. Well, it does matter. We've got to guard against. You see, it's subtle. It's a little. It's a, it's a subtle thing, isn't it? We don't want to find ourselves in a situation where we actually help people think it's okay. Well, it does matter. <laughs> but we honour. We honour their decision. We're not going to. Bear down on them. Yeah? Does that make sense? It's important. Uh, fourthly, it says in the Bible, give a reason for the hope that you have. Well, I, I was thinking, well, I, I think the, probably the best, the best way the Bible describes the hope we have is, um, is it's eternal life through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I think the, probably a very helpful way of applying this verse is give a reason for why you believe in the resurrection. I think, so. why are you a Christian? Because Jesus was raised from the dead. That's a really valid question, uh, answer to that question. And probably it will surprise people. <laughs> you have to talk about the resurrection in, the, in your own words, in your own way. But I think to be able to just say, yeah, because Jesus rose from the dead, that is actually the big deal. The Bible says if he hadn't risen from the dead, we're still dead in our sins. And we have to be pitied more than all people. So actually the resurrection is a really important thing. And I, I think it's central to the gospel message. But I think actually sometimes as churches, we, we finish at the cross. Um, I mean, I've, I remember being on a, I was on a little retreat once in, in this village, uh, walking past a, a church with the, the board outside, and it had like the gospel outline. Brilliant, great idea. But it ended at the cross. I was so shocked. I just think, he's alive. And that's the hope we've got. He's alive, therefore we will live with him. And to be able to be living with that and to be able to articulate that is really, really um, important to talk about what does new life in Jesus feel like? Why is the resurrection important? That then gets on to why do we trust the Bible? It opens up so many things. But to be able to give an answer for why, why, why I have this hope of eternal life is really important. Still with me? Yeah. Fifthly, asking questions and being genuinely interested in the answers. <laughs> what does James say? Be quick to listen and slow to speak. I think it's really important. I love doing questionnaires. If, I, if, I have, if I'm doing kind of evangelism, you know, not, not, not the just day-to-day evangelism or relational stuff, but kind of street evangelism, I'll always choose if I've got a choice of questionnaires. Why? Because I'm interested. I remember, standing, I remember chatting to a guy once on the street corner, and uh, he was an angry man. He was an angry man because he was, uh, he was homosexual. Um, he understood traditional Bible teaching on it, but he'd also been kicked out of home because he was homosexual and was currently sleeping on sofas and homeless. And he was, he was fiercely angry at me. <laughs> I, put my, oh, you know, I was just doing a questionnaire, you know, but I got the brunt of it. And that was fine. And I literally just listened for about 20 minutes. 
And I don't think I said a thing because I just knew it would be totally inappropriate and just tried to listen. And it was an amazing, the journey he went on through his own monologue. <laughs> it was an incredible... Th- I didn't, you know, it wasn't planned, it wasn't premeditated, it wasn't inauthentic. I was genuinely... I really felt for the man. I just wanted to listen and just demonstrate some grace in doing that. And by the time we got to the end of our conversation, I think he asked for details of the church. <laughs> but I haven't said anything. Uh, <laughs> it was really surprising. But what it was, I think it was, it was just... Uh, I, don't, I guess it was just the, the, the graciousness that is in the heart of God towards him, not, not, uh, not in any, at any point condoning his sin. He doesn't condone any of our sin. But he's disposed towards us with a gracious reach in Christ, isn't he? And to be able to communicate that, which sometimes means not saying anything. It just seems listening sometimes is, is, is the thing. And um, you haven't got to have the last word. You know, those Christians insist on a lot. You haven't, you haven't got to have the last word in that conversation. Sometimes it's the most godly thing not to. But Paul says, you know, don't get caught up in arguments and things. Don't, there's no need for it. Not, you know, argumentativeness in, in that sense. So that's uh, really important. I think if you ask questions, you create a culture in that relationship for asking questions. It becomes a healthy conversational relationship. I think we are losing the art of conversation and meaningful debate in our culture. I think it's a really important thing. One of the most uh, refreshing things about having a conversation with someone like a, a, a typical, someone from a typically Muslim country about spiritual things is that this is what they do. <laughs> they'll, they'll want to talk about this because they think it's important to talk about these things. Many in our culture don't. So it's important that we, that we learn a different way. Um, two more to go. Three more to go. Um, teach the spiritual principle of sowing and uh, watering and God causing the growth. This is really releasing. One sows and other waters, God causes the growth. Don't you love that? That's just, that, is, that is music to my ears. One sows, often, often it's not the same person who waters, someone else waters. But God mysteriously causes the growth. That to me sounds like a recipe for uh, brilliant um, releasing, joyful, joy-filled sharing of Jesus. I think if you understand this principle, it keeps people thinking they have to sow and water for years before salvation, they may be watering something that's literally just about to pop. God's been at work through many different means and conversations, and they just go, Thring! and he goes, Wada! you think, what happened there? Wow, well, it could have just been God did a fast-forward growth job, or it could have been that there's just been numbers of key conversations, things have been exposed to, dreams, who knows? And that final word just just did it. It releases people from this sense of, right, here, I've, just, I've had a conversation with someone, give me 20 years, we're going to see some amazing growth. Not necessarily. But what the sowing and watering mentality always does is it releases us to invest in relationships that last 20 years. I was staying with a, a, a couple just um, down in Sussex before I came here. Wonderful couple. They run a little retreat centre now, but they're, they're from South London. They, they, they lived on their same street for 23 years in, in Downham, in, in the borough of Lewisham. 23 years. And they just invested, sowed and watered, sowed and watered, sowed and watered, saw a wonderful harvest. And since they've moved on down to Sussex, I think since then, I think they said two or three other neighbours have just come to Christ, just through the work they've put in there. I just think the sowing and watering principle releases us to scatter liberally, because we are, we are we're just, we're contributing to what other people have done, and God will use it. And also to the long-term thing, for both we are released as we understand um, we understand. And it keeps the growing focus on the work of God. 
Um, so the wrong sort of pressure is lifted off. God causes the growth. Keep telling yourself that. <laughs> God causes the growth. And then those moments come. Um, penultimately, um, testimony, talking about the difference that Jesus has made. You know, you, the story of how Jesus has changed your life is holy ground. You know that, don't you? It's really holy ground. Even the quirks, even the things you think, that's a bit funny. It's holy ground. God has, God has tailor-made it. Do you believe that? He's, he's worked out his purpose in you. It will, be, it, will be, it will penetrate people's lives. Even what you've experienced before, it will, it, people will be struck. You know, you, you, you know what, a, 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 someone who doesn't believe in the Lord, who has got serious, I don't know, perhaps they've got um, serious issues around unforgiveness. How could a God allow that to happen? Who do they most need to meet? A Christian who has been through that. Because it's like, what, what, what can you say then? I was just struck the other day that what God does in the heart and mind of a Christian is so miraculous. So miraculous. Like, here's what I mean. Um, so my wife's really struggling with insomnia. It's been for about, well, it's been for probably about, I don't know, 35 years. But the last eight months have been really hard. And um, she had a good night on Sunday night. And we were really, really grateful. Like, really grateful to God. We, and I thought, isn't this, isn't this funny? Because you sort of think, if I didn't know the Lord, I'd probably just be shaking my fist about the last seven months and 29 days. Do you know what I mean? Do you know what I mean? Finally, I've got what I'm entitled to, that kind of approach. And I, that wasn't even, didn't even occur to us. We were just like, Lord, just bless you for last night. Thank you. And then, I, you know, sometimes you're struck by your own response. Just thought, wow, praise God, you know. Um, but you just, you just, when God works in, in someone's heart, the most terrible things could have happened. But just the glory of Jesus outshines it all. He's just, he's just more wonderful than, he's so much more wonderful that it kind of just reaches over and brings redemption and healing to all these things. And just changes your outlook entirely, doesn't it? There are things, I look back, I think, and I think that was awful for our new Jesus. That was really painful, painful moments. And yet I can probably think of moments where I've been able to speak about those things in a way that has really minister to someone who's been hard in their heart. You see, your story is holy. What he's brought you through is so important. It doesn't have to be dramatic, but it's really, really um, holy. And, um, and I think this is just about restoring our honesty at this point, in the sense that I think sometimes we can, we can put, um, you know, don't hide your lamp under a bushel. I haven't got a clue what a bushel is, but it doesn't sound good. <laughs> Too young. Some sort of lid, right? Anyone? What's a bushel? None of us know. We all quote it. None of us know. Okay. But don't, don't, don't hide your light. Jesus says you're the light of the world. Right? He doesn't say be the light of the world. He says you are. So you're the light of the world. He says just don't hide it. So, so when I'm free from anxiety, I've got to give the glory, haven't I? Do you know what I mean? There's no point to say, oh, well, yeah, yeah, I'm, sort of, I'm wired that way. Or, do you know what I mean? No, I've got to give the glory. Jesus has done a work. My wife is so great at this. I remember... You know, people are really uptight about schools these days. Oh, it's year six. Got to get the kid into the right school. And all the mums and dads are going crazy and biting their nails and stuff. And God just brought supernatural peace. And Davina, well, she just would be so upfront about Jesus with the parents. It's just like, but she, what, she's, she's just being honest. It's not like, oh, it's just being honest. That's why we're at peace. Because we know that our life is in his hands. So we're at peace. It's just, and I do think there's a call to honesty on us. Give credit where it's due. You haven't got to change your voice. You can say it normally. <laughs> you know, 
Well, no, you haven't got to do that. But give him the glory because he's done it. If you're not in fear anymore in that area, give him the glory. Jesus did it. They want to ask more they can. You haven't got to give them, you know, you haven't got to invite them to the lecture. Just, just Jesus did it. They may want to find out a bit more um, about that. And I think we mustn't dumb it down. Give him the glory. I think we become, if we get shaped by the world we're in, we become experts at dumbing it down because we live in a dumbed down culture. Everyone's terrified to say what they really think. I was struck by this, you know, just um, talking a bit on Sunday about this. Do you know the Dolce & Gabbana thing? When they, a few months ago, they just, they just shared their views, what they thought about traditional family life. They weren't being hostile. They weren't being aggressive. They were literally just saying, this is what we think. And these are two gay men. <laughs> um, but they're just saying what they think about certain things. And the, 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 the attack, the hostility. I think Elton John started some kind of cyber thing and then Posh Spice said, I'm not going to buy any more Dolce & Gabbana. He said, this is just bullying. This is just brilliant. They, they weren't even, they, they were being interviewed, they just said what they thought. But see the response. And we do live in a, in a culture of intimidation and a culture of fear. And the Bible says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this age. For us in this nation, that's what it is. That's a big part of the pattern that we just don't really say. Because what will people think? Well, this is where we need the Lord to help us. And this is my final point. And it's this, is that a complicating factor is that Satan hugely opposes free and bold speech for Jesus. This isn't, this isn't just a social, psychological thing. This is deeply spiritual. We are significantly opposed. If Satan can keep us quiet, that has huge implications for the advance of the gospel because how can they believe unless they hear? How can they believe unless they hear? Romans 10. And we mustn't lean back into hyper-Calvinism at this point and all of that. Paul understood about election. And he said, how can they believe unless they hear? So we've got to, we've got to really hear that. And, and really the time I would like to use in just a moment praying in response to this is, is that there is, there is this supernatural holy boldness. It's nothing to do with temperament. It's, not, you know, it's nothing to do with that. It transcends that. It's not about whether you're a quiet type or a loud type, introvert, extrovert. Totally transcends all of that. Those things may affect the expression, the style, the manner, but the freedom to speak of Jesus is a spiritual issue. And the Holy Spirit desires, as he did with the early church, to, to help us to, to walk freely and boldly and honestly. And, um, and so, again, it enables us, like Carl was saying earlier, to be able to model it. I, I think you can sum up Christian leadership in two words, and it's imitate me. And um, that, that's, that's, that's the wonder and the fear of Christian leadership. <laughs> you know, the wonder of it is we don't get to just say a load of stuff and not do it. That's, I love that. But it's a great check as well, isn't it? <laughs> you think, okay, am I doing this? And wouldn't it be wonderful if, through our time together, praying in just a moment, that, that there's a freedom that the Holy Spirit brings? You know, you just know, it's like, ah, my, my, you know, I was just reading, um, I'm just working through Mark at the moment, having a real good time in Mark, and said, um, it's about the, the, the dumb and the, um, the deaf and the dumb guy. It's just so, so simple. Jesus took him out of the village, and it says, uh, he says, you know, he looked up at heaven and sighed and said, be opened. And his ears were opened, and his tongue was released. I think, wow, you know, his ears were opened. 
That's what we need for people who don't know Jesus, don't we? But it is to be opened and our tongues released. That's what Jesus does that. He speaks the word and suddenly it wasn't and now it was. Do we believe that, don't we? It's the power of God, the power of God, and that's what we believe. So I'd love to, I'd love to be able to pray. We've got a nice lot of time. We're not finishing this session until half past three, so we've got a nice lot of time. But before we do that, I want to just give it. I always think it's important to be able to, just, if possible, and we do have time, to give a little bit of five minutes, maybe just for any Q&A, because sometimes you say things and it gets heard in a certain way, and it's not how you meant it, or you, it needs to, you just need a bit, bit more clarity so that there's no... When we come to pray, everyone's as clear as they, they want to be. So does anyone have any questions on anything I've said? You think it'd be really good to hear more on that? Or when you said that, did you really mean that? Just to make sure that we are all kind of on the same page. Any questions? Stuart. Yeah. 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 It's not just an understanding, is it? There's other elements. Definitely. Yeah. I think the last point is probably what you're referring. The last point is probably in what I said. Was, was probably speaks into that. There is a Holy Spirit liberty and boldness. Definitely. Um, I guess I would say that. Yeah, that's what Paul says in Ephesians 6, isn't it? Just after the stuff on the... Um, he says... Um, here it's boldly. There's somewhere else that says clearly. One or the other. I think it's one of the other ends of the other epistles. It, yeah, clearly and boldly, definitely. It's a Holy Spirit thing, without a doubt. But I do think my experience is this, is that the Holy Spirit, when he enables us, he uses the content that's in there. So, for example, my wife's got terrible memory. Terrible, right? John 3.16 is all she can put out of the bag. Trust me, that, I'm not even exaggerating. She can do John 3.16, other than that she's lost. But she's a woman of the word. Which means that there's just this huge archive of scripture in there, but she just can't, she can't access it. But when she gets reminded of a scripture, she knows it's the Holy Spirit. Because <laughs> you can remember a thing. You know, oh, it must be. And it's always prophetically powerful, because that's exactly what's happened. So if you get it in you, the Holy Spirit can supernaturally, very easily, just pull it out of the archives. Absolutely. So it is important to become familiar with the gospel, coupled with... Holy Spirit, liberty and clarity. Yeah, Nigel. Hello, hello. Oh. Uh, have you got a favourite visual aid that you use if someone says, well, how does the gospel work? Like, you know, the bridge to the life bridge to love or something, or like, that. something yeah. like that. So what? Uh, personally, I don't have a favourite um, visual aid. Um, no, in answer to your question. <laughs> I've always found the bridge to life really helpful. <laughs> no, yeah, no. I mean, there's some great stuff out there. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not the most resourceful person in that kind of way, because I think I quite enjoy, I, I quite enjoy, by, by how God's put me together, kind of being on the spot and seeing what comes. But other people hate that, and I think it's totally fine to just honour the way God's put you together and and have some things up your sleeve. But I just, my plea is, is that the conversation, the interaction, is real. Otherwise, you're not being respectful of that person. So that's more the plea, but yeah.